Hey, Real Talkers, the eyes of the energy world are on Calgary as Alberta hosts the World Petroleum Congress. All context considered, it makes perfect sense for Alberta Premier Danielle Smith to greet the Saudi delegation at the airport. But does the photo op kill Canada's claim around ethical oil? We asked that question to Max Fawcett. Plus, with that one million March for Children happening, thousands showing up across the country, we take a look at what you need to be thinking about as it happens. Don't forget, you can also watch Real Talk by subscribing to us on YouTube. This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. It's September 20th already, and uh, we want to welcome you to Real Talk. It's Jesperson John Hicks riding shotgun today. In just a second, Max Fawcett, lead columnist for Canada's National Observer. We're going to be talking about, uh, I mean, I, I don't know if, if the, uh, the idea or the promise of ethical oil evaporated over the past couple of days, but Max has a new column out uh, wondering, I guess, what the deal is with Alberta's embrace of Saudi dignitaries at the World Petroleum Congress. Now, those of you driven by common sense and practicality, those of you with a keen uh, understanding of business bottom line and international diplomacy will say, you guys got to be kidding me. What the hell are you talking about? Alberta is Canada's uh, energy capital, to be sure. And Alberta is one of the global leaders when it comes to petroleum, when it comes to oil and gas. And so are the Saudis. And we're hosting the World Petroleum Congress. So what the hell do you expect the premier to do? Ignore the Saudis? She should be on the tarmac shaking hands. She should be welcoming the prince to the province of Alberta. So we're going to get into it with Max and uh, figure out what it was exactly that prompted the column of his that's just out, the column that you can read along with us as we talk at nationalobserver.com. We're also going to be talking to an opposition MLA out of Calgary today. Diana Batten's going to be making her Real Talk debut. She's the MLA out of Calgary, Acadia. You remember she's one of those NDP candidates that won one of those nail-biter races in the most recent provincial election. She's on that E. coli file. And we're going to be talking about that. We have a letter from a family. Uh, it turns out they're real talkers. They are one of those that saw their four-year-old daughter hospitalized with E. coli down in Calgary. We'll get to that. I wanted to let you know that we're also in touch with, we've spoken with the health minister's uh, team yesterday, and we believe, she says she wants to talk to us. She says she'll do an interview with Real Talk, so we expect that'll be coming up tomorrow or Friday, we're hoping. So we want to you know, be sure that you're informed, that you're hearing from the government, from the opposition, from health leaders, from parents. What are we to do with this E. coli outbreak? We also won't be ignoring today this one million march for children. There's thousands of people that are turning up across the country right now uh, pro protesting what they call, uh, I guess, the over-sexualization of schools. They're, they're, they're protesting, you know, gender-related education in schools. They're, they're protesting a whole bunch of things. And uh, we're curious. I'm, I'm most especially interested in seeing what our live chat's going to have to say about this. You can always also hit us up on Twitter. During our show, the hashtag RealTalkRJ is where you can find us. So we got a lot to get into coming up on this episode of Real Talk. But first, we've all heard, I'm sure, if you're paying attention to the news, that credential fraud is on the rise. So whether it's nurses 
or oil patch workers or personal support workers. There's been no shortage of news headlines where a fake credential put people's safety at risk. The general public. Luckily, there's an innovative technology that's making credential fraud a thing of the past. Digital verifiable credentials are secure cloud-based credentials that are far beyond a traditional certificate or, or even a digital badge or a PDF. They are impossible to forge, falsify, or alter. Verifiable credentials are tamper-proof and independently verifiable credentials that use open web standards. They're trusted, real-time digital credentials that live in a digital wallet. They can be viewed, managed, and shared from anywhere. And with We Know Training, they can plug seamlessly into your training courses. If you want to learn more about using verifiable credentials in your training or credentialing program, just visit verifiablecredentials.ca. Max Fawcett is the lead columnist for Canada's National Observer. And uh, Max also happens to be a dad. So I'm looking forward to picking his brain on what we're seeing happen across the country uh, today. Max, you and I both in, in Western Canada this morning. So I don't know if you've made a morning commute yet or if you're still at home. Uh, I don't think either Johnny or I saw, saw any traffic jams or, no. or, or any demonstrations or protests in our home city of Edmonton this early in the morning. We made our way in around 7.15 today, but certainly in eastern Canada, we are seeing thousands of people turn out for this one million march for children. Have you been paying any attention to this or the lead up to it? I mean, to be honest, I've been trying not to pay attention to it. Uh, it it's all so ludicrous and and um, and silly, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, it's hard not to pay attention to this sort of outpouring of concern, um, bigotry, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I didn't see anyone I was dropping my kid off at the day home today, but I suspect that they weren't going to be protesting quite this early uh, or hopefully at my day home. But uh, yeah, it, you know, it's a it's a concern. I think there's a real conversation to be had here around how we navigate this issue uh, so that parents feel like they have all the information they need and kids are protected but this march is not going to do anything to advance that conversation. Uh, this feels much more like an opportunity to uh, build momentum behind a, a sort of far further right vision of this country and its future. You know, obviously you have people like David Parker who are heavily involved in this. So, you know, we'll see how it all unfolds. But, uh, you know, there's lots of important things to be talking about when it comes to kids and their safety. You know, e. coli, uh, first among them here in Alberta. And this sort of culture war stuff is just a, a distraction that really benefits uh, uh, certain people on the far right, not so much parents. Yeah, the, the, this group, uh, One Million March for Children, says that the participants today are standing together against gender ideology in schools. Um, and they're expecting events across the country, and it, and, it, and it looks like they're happening. I mean, we've we've just been taking a look. We've seen them happening in New Brunswick, and and obviously there's a lot of people in Ottawa today. And so, I mean, they, they're they're flying in speakers from around the world and, and all this kind of stuff. It's 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 pretty interesting. They're they're doing this under the banner of parental rights. And I've seen some criticism around the movement, you know, people saying, well, parental rights is a bit of a misnomer because it, it doesn't address the concerns of of parents of LGBTQ students or uh, LGBTQ parents themselves. It seems to be kind of a I mean, I'm sorry if I'm stating the, the absolute obvious here, but it's kind of a particular group. It's 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 a very focused in group. If you were to look on the on the spectrum of the politics or the ideology here. 
Uh, it's it's not a general movement. I'm, I'll be curious to see through the day, and I'm certainly not hoping for any conflict, but I know that some people are planning counter-protests. Uh, Johnny, you were saying that even here in Edmonton, what was it, the Edmonton Public School Board, is it? They've got their employees behind locked doors today? I think it's the ATA building. Oh, the Alberta it Teachers is, Association. Is not officially, but on kind of a lockdown, hoping that protesters don't come to the actual building there. Yeah, so you know, you never know, uh, Max. I mean, these things you know, have the potential to get nasty. My um, hope is that it doesn't. Uh, but I, I just wonder if you're a you know a, a nine or ten or eleven year old kid uh, that you know you know that this community that they're targeting that you're a member of that community this is a shitty day for you yeah it's terrible um, you know the kids are way ahead of the parents on this issue as I think they tend to be on a lot of these sorts of uh, more sort of progressive or forward looking social issues I don't think that they get as as worked up about it as some of these parents do but. It is sort of a testament to the power of political branding. Um, you know, this isn't, like you said, this isn't about parents' rights because, number one, parents don't really have the right to, you know, uh, out their children. They don't have, their rights are not absolute and paramount, but they do have rights. And if you're sort of only marginally paying attention to, to politics or to the culture wars and you hear someone saying, well, we need more support for parents' rights, well, who could oppose that? That sounds like a and reasonable thing parents should have rights so you know, i think there's probably a lot of people a lot of people at these marches who don't entirely understand what the organizers are trying to achieve or what the issues at play really are i mean this it all kind of revolves around this notion that the public education system is actively trying to convert children or influence them towards being you know open to being trans or, or actually pushing them to be trans and anyone who's ever met a teacher knows they're just trying to get these kids in the classroom, educated, make sure they're healthy, make sure they're, you know, they're, they're being kind to each other. They, they don't have time for any uh, you know, propaganda mission, much less one that's this sort of elaborate and far reaching. They, they really just want to get through the day and make sure the kids are educated. Um, and part of me thinks that this is, this is a broader part of a broader effort to undermine support for public education in Canada. Uh, one that has been afoot for, for quite a while. And, if you look at the people who are involved in this march, a lot of them uh, have stated in no uncertain terms that they uh, are hostile towards the idea of public education. Uh, a great degree of your career. I mean, a, a lot of your career path is centered around commentary and insight analysis on uh, oil and gas, Canada's energy industry. Uh, obviously, you know, well before you were at the National Observer, uh, you were the editor of uh, Alberta Oil magazine. Uh, I want I want to talk about the World Petroleum Congress. Calgary's playing host right now. It is a big deal, right? This is the, this is the 24th World Petroleum Congress. Before we get into your column that's just out hot off the press, uh, can we still say that? There's got to be a digital version. But I, I like just, it. I, I love the idea. I love it. Hot off the press. Yeah. You know, so, uh, Max, but my very first hot job. Off. I was going to say, I was going to say hot off the server. Hot off the server. Yeah, <laughs> that, that, that works. My very first job at the Calgary Herald, uh, I remember, like, I, whatever time it would have been, I guess 830, 9 o'clock at night, when the presses started rolling and there was this observation deck you could go stand on and just watch it and like the whole floor would kind of be rumbling and it was just so cool. And to pick up a copy of the paper that actually was hot off the press was so very cool. But we'll get to your, your column in just a second. World Petroleum Congress, why is it a big deal? Why is it a big deal that it's in Calgary? It's a gathering of, of basically all the major oil producing nations in the world. They're, they're energy ministers, they're CEOs of their large companies, uh, basically gathering to 
talk about trends, attract investment, talk to investors and, and kind of chart the way forward, which which has been, you know, a, a pretty tough job for the oil and gas industry over the last decade, let's call it. Um, you know, it was last hosted in Calgary in the early 2000s. So much has changed since then. Um, but, you know, you have the, the CEO of Saudi Aramco, the biggest oil and gas company in the world here. You have one of the princes in the Saudi royal family who was the energy minister here. You have CEO of big American oil and gas companies like ExxonMobil. So this is the, you know, I don't know if you call it the creme de la creme, but the, the oil de la oil of the oil and gas industry. Um, and there's a lot of powerful people in, in a small number of rooms. Uh, so yeah, it is a big deal. Uh, but I also think there is an obvious disconnect between the theme that the organizers have tried to put forward for this, which is net zero energy transition and what the, the biggest names in the room are all saying right now. You're, you're talking about the, the assertion and, and uh, that basically global demand for oil is not decreasing. In fact, it's ramping up, right? Yeah, exactly. I, you know, the, the federal energy minister gave the keynote address on Sunday evening, and uh, he said a bunch of things that were true and accurate and well-sourced. And it set the premier, put the premier on tilt. Uh, she had to come out the next day and, and basically call him out and say it was tone deaf what he had talked about. What he had talked about was a forecast from the International Energy Agency. Um, you know, this is not radical stuff, but uh, the one of the, the scenarios that the IEA has is that if we reach our 1.5 degrees Celsius warming target by 2050, if you model that backwards, the demand for oil by then will be about 25 million barrels a day uh, compared to, you know, well over 100 right now. So I don't think anyone actually thinks that's going to happen. That's a bad thing. But, you know, that's where we are on the climate front. But you know, Wilkinson was acknowledging that if if the world actually gets serious about climate policy and climate action, there's a lot of downside in these demand scenarios. And the, the government of Alberta simply refuses to acknowledge that. You know, that's why I was talking about, uh, you know, so much for ethical oil uh, for years. Um, you know, Albertans and the oil and gas industry, Daniel Smith herself, have talked a really tough game about Saudi Arabia, what a terrible country it is, uh, human rights abuses all things that are 100% true. Uh, and yet, when they got a chance to say that to the face of one of the princes in the royal family and the country's energy minister, they bent the knee, they kissed the ring. And the reason they did that is because the Saudis share the same, uh, I would call it delusion, but uh, the same view as, as the UCP and Daniel Smith, which is that demand for oil will continue to rise out till 2050. It's not going down. It's going to keep going up and we need to be producing as much as possible. So, you know, this is this is an alliance of convenience. This is an alliance of, of mutual deception. Um, but it doesn't serve Alberta well because we need to be preparing for the world that is, you know, coming towards us. The IEA thinks that demand for all, uh, you know, for oil, for natural gas and for coal will all peak by 2030. That is less than seven years away from now. So, if we don't start at least acknowledging that that's a possibility, we are putting ourselves in a very, very dangerous position. Real talk, Max, do you actually believe it? Do you actually believe that that demand for oil will peak in like six and a half years? Uh, to be honest, I have a hard time believing it. I think when you're in the middle of one of these transitions, it's it's difficult to see where things are going. Um, you know, you're sort of at the top of the roller coaster and the momentum is switching gears. I, I maybe it's 2031, maybe it's 2032. Uh, but I know, you know, from a business perspective, 
you don't build your business plan around the most optimistic scenario you can find. You stress test your business for the most pessimistic one you can find. You make sure that it is prepared for all eventualities. And then if the optimistic scenario unfolds, well, good for you. You've, you've made more money in the end. And that would be the prudent thing for us to be doing as a province that still derives so much of our, our revenues, our provincial revenues from the oil and gas industry. We should be preparing for the downside, uh, even as we uh, you know, are open to the possibility that it doesn't come to fruition. Uh, I don't think we're going to see demand for oil at 25 million barrels per day by 2050. I, I just don't think that's realistic. But I do think we could see it at 70 or 75. And the impact of that on Alberta's finances, on its economy are profound. And we deserve to have a government that is at least willing to take that seriously and not fly off the handle publicly if someone says it out loud at a conference. You know, the, the premier talked about uh, Wilkinson sort of being out of pocket with his comments. I, I thought her, her reaction was embarrassing. It was Bush League. Uh, you know, it... it she was triggered by a, a basic fact that was presented by, uh, you know, the International Energy Agency of all people. Yeah, um, I'm not carrying water for the premier. Um, I will say that, you know, if you're the, the elected leader of a province that's hosting the World Petroleum Congress and your number one objective is to uh, ha have a strong reaction from the room you're speaking to, not Twitter, uh, then you're going to take the line that Danielle Smith took. You know what I mean? Like if I'm a public speaker, I am one, and I'm hired to address the World Petroleum Congress, I'm not saying I'm going to go in there and bullshit everybody, but I'm going to find a way to give the people what they want and to represent the energy industry in the province strongly, right? Like, like we opened, I opened asking, and I'm curious for your take on this. I, I opened the episode asking this question. I mean, this, this photo, it's a remarkable photo of, of the Premier of Alberta, Danielle Smith, on the tarmac in Calgary. This is on Monday, uh, you know, extending a warm welcome to Prince Abdulaziz bin Salman al-Saud, right, uh, from Saudi Arabia. And she talks about how she is delighted to welcome him. And you're absolutely right, Max. Like, the Premier is on the record before she was the Premier, right? But she is on the record with, with, with uh, I mean, throwing zingers, like hand grenades verbally, at the Saudis, um, I mean, the whole Ezra Levant school of thought and ethical oil, and it's what everybody talks about and how Irving oil needs to stop importing from the Saudis and we need to use only Canadian oil, which, I mean, hilariously kind of resembles a national energy program in a way. But, but you know, you and I have talked about that at length in past. But honestly, like, what's the premier supposed to do? We don't expect her to turn her back to the Saudis at the World Petroleum Congress. We don't expect her to try to go up one side and down the other of the Saudis because the power dynamic there is laughable. No disrespect to Alberta, right? I mean, do you agree on all these fronts? Like, what's she supposed to do? I mean, I, I definitely think that she should have greeted uh, her delegates with respect uh, and attention. You know, as a good host, you you roll out the red carpet for, for everyone. I, I think that the degree to which she fawned over the Saudis and then echoed their messaging about global oil demand and, and the way that they see the world um, was was over the top, you know, I mean, but it, it speaks to the fact that all this ethical oil stuff, it, it's just talk, right? It's just a marketing branding exercise. They, when it comes right down to it, if the choice is between supporting the federal government and Canada and owning the libs, people like Daniel Smith will always choose to own the libs. Uh, that is their that is their top priority. And you know, you see talk about, you know, her being in a crowd uh, of oil and gas people. I, I think of it sort of a bit like professional wrestling. She went for the cheap heat. 
right? She she took the easy the easy way out uh, in that room. There, there was a there was a speech she could have given that acknowledged the concerns of that room, uh, that that acknowledged their interests and 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 their backgrounds, but also respected the theme of the of the actual Congress, which is energy transition, which is uh, net zero. You know, talk about the ways in which Alberta is going to get there. Talk about the ways in which they can work with the federal government. I don't think if you're in the oil and gas industry in Alberta, you want to see the federal government and the government of Alberta squabbling in public like that, especially when you're still trying to get them to to come to agreement on things like carbon capture and storage, where the federal government has stepped up, put a billions of dollars on the table, and the province is still uh, kind of dragging behind on that front. So, you know, she she is prioritizing her her political outcomes over her government outcomes. Uh, and fair enough, that's how she got where she is. But she also has, you know, three plus years left until the next election. She, she might want to focus a little more on doing what's best for Alberta rather than doing what's best for, you know, her, her popularity in a room of oil and gas executives. Mm. Uh, Lauren writes in here, says she's listening at work. She works in oil and gas, listening at work down in Calgary. Lauren, love that. She says, what specifically has Danielle Smith said about the Saudis on the record? I, I'm gonna, just going to cite your piece, Max, because you made it easy for me. A 2018 column uh, where Danielle Smith wrote, quote, I won't be crying the blues if we stop trading with that loathsome regime. Saudi Arabia is not our friend. Uh, that uh, Danielle Smith, that was five years ago uh, on the record in an opinion column. I'd be curious to see... And I bet you and I both know the answer here, Max. If gas stations had two pumps and one of them was just gas, like sort of, you know, you know where, where it's from, you know, whatever, it's offered at the most competitive price. And then we had Canadian gas, Canadian fuel, and there was like Canada flag on the pumps and everything. And you can give me a, a better informed guess of what you think the price might be per liter. Let's say, let's say it's 15 cents a liter more. Let's say it's like 18 cents a liter more. Which pump do you think that most people would go to? I think the first couple of times they might try out the Canadian pump, um, you know, especially if people are watching. Uh, they, they probably take some cool selfies in front of the Canadian pump and then put it on their Instagram or uh, Twitter or whatever. And then when the novelty wore off, they would purchase whatever was cheapest uh, because that's how we're wired and that's how we operate. And there there is no difference between Canadian gas derived gasoline and American derived gasoline. It all comes from the same molecules uh, and it all does the same thing in your car. It's not like two different brands of peanut butter or something where there's a flavor difference or there's a, a difference in nutritional content. So, you know, people have, I've heard this argument for as long as I've been covering oil and gas that, you know, we should, we should find a way to, to pay a premium for Canadian oil. And it just, it's fungible. It doesn't work that way. It is exactly the same as other forms of oil. Um, and, and so that whole argument just sort of falls apart upon uh, even the slightest application of pressure. Do you think and I understand that like petroleum, oil and gas is is if not the biggest industry in the world, it's one of them. Right. Do you actually happen to have numbers? Do you know uh, where like of all the industries in the world, tech has got to be number one, I would assume. Uh, but oil's right up there. Right. Do you think. I'd be curious to see as as the giants of industry diversify and many have, including right here in Canada, although some are divesting themselves of their renewable investments recently, which has also been interesting to watch. How long until you think they call this the World Energy Congress? How long do you think until the word petroleum? Because I think it it might it's a subtle change to the name, but also not at all. It's also a very significant change. But if you started integrating talk about 
hydrogen and nuclear and wind and solar and alternative energy. It would broaden the conversation. It might make the conversation more interesting to more people. Um, it would certainly create, <laughs> allow me to invoke the phrase, some social license, I think, which would be a positive step forward. You think that'll ever happen? I mean, fun fact, it already is happening. I think they're contemplating changing the name to the World Energy Congress for the next uh, the next year's edition. So um, they, they definitely uh, are aware of, of where the puck is going, as we love to say in Canada. I, the problem to me is that there is a, a mismatch between where the industry knows it needs to go and the management teams and the politicians who are making the decisions right now, because their their windows are much, much shorter term. You know, if you're a politician, your window is the next election. If you're a man, if you're a CEO or a senior executive at one of these companies, you're you're older and your your window is probably end of the decade or thereabouts. And they don't really have any vested interest in making sure that these businesses evolve and transition and, and become businesses that will be around 100 years from now. They want to maximize their their near-term outcomes. And so for the executives, that means share price, that means profits, that means uh, stock options. It, you know, they, they are not invested in transitioning these businesses. And, and there's just a mismatch in terms of the incentives. So, you, you know, these companies, and I know I talk to them quite often, you have these younger people who are in their 30s and 40s who can see where things are going, who want to see things change and evolve. They want to see these companies take their record profits right now and plow them into, into new options, new alternatives. And they see that, that they are not being represented in the C-suites and, and the sort of premier's offices in this country. Um, you know, we saw that with Suncor where they, they, they basically walked back whatever climate ambition they had shown over the last little while. And they're just going to try to make as much money as possible. There's no sin in that, that, that is capitalism, but capitalism is also serving shareholders, both present and future. Uh, and, and there are a lot of, shareholders in these companies uh, who have longer term views, longer term interests that, that really aren't being served by the kind of rhetoric we're hearing from people like Danielle Smith right now. Uh, in closing, you and I haven't really spoken about this uh, Alberta's wind and solar moratorium. It's, uh, you know, seven months. I guess they're about, what, six weeks into it or so. And, and the critics of it are saying that it could cost Alberta, number one, its reputation, number two, billions of dollars of investment, number three, hundreds or even thousands of jobs. And supporters of it are saying that it's a prudent move because it's kind of been the Wild West when it comes to some of the development and infrastructure that's being built. And, uh, you know, we've, we've heard people on this show, including Paul McLaughlin, president of uh, the rural municipalities of Alberta, say that they don't want to. He, he, he acknowledges that orphan wells have been a, are a huge problem for Alberta. That's been a disaster that municipalities. It was unbelievable. I mean, he was dropping numbers. Um, he said municipalities are owed about three quarters of a billion dollars in back taxes from oil companies. Dropped that bomb only on real talk. Um, so, you know, you have different perspectives coming to the table here uh, in the context of the World Petroleum Congress and Alberta's energy future and Canada's energy future. What's one key storyline that you're keeping an eye on uh, relating to that moratorium? Oh, I mean, where do we even start with that? Um, there, there are so many uh, different angles feeding out of that. Um, you know, I th I, the thing that rankled me from the beginning about that decision and still rankles me it, is the inconsistency of the worldview that's being applied. Um, you know, w when we were having a wild west for oil and gas, nobody seemed particularly interested in slowing it down or stopping it. Um, with, I will say, the notable exception of Peter Lougheed, who 
you know, about a decade ago came, came out and said that we needed to slow down the oil sands, that it was going too fast. We should have listened. But, you know, when it comes to end of life liabilities, when it comes to things going too fast for local communities, when, it, when it's oil and gas, it gets a free pass. When it's wind and solar, for some reason, the government suddenly is deeply concerned about these things. I think the thing that I'm watching is, is the degree to which uh, the, this government is sincere about this stuff. Um, you know, I, I look at, at there was a really good story by Jason Markusoff the other day talking about the premier embracing hydrogen vehicles, right? And, uh, you know, this is a solution that has that has basically been discarded everywhere else in the world because hydrogen for passenger vehicles is just wildly inefficient. It makes no sense. There's a great opportunity for hydrogen in heavy trucking, uh, in industrial applications, but not in cars. You know, this is, she's going Betamax, uh, in a world that, that went uh, VHS. And this is her strategy, I think, is, is she, she embraces solutions that are either 20 years away or are never going to scale up because then she can say, well, no, no I'm, I'm serious about reducing emissions. I just disagree about the, the way we do it. it. It's a very cunning strategy. She, she doesn't come off as a denier or as a slow walker, but in, in effect, the, the outcome is the same. She is slow walking the solutions that we have in front of us. And one of the big ones is wind and solar, right? I mean, Alberta is a fantastic jurisdiction, the best in Canada to do that. Jobs, uh, investment, all sorts of opportunities. We can we can fill our head offices or at least fill them back up a little bit with these new companies. And yet we've told the world we're not interested in their business and that this is a difficult place for that to happen. So that, that to me is just incredibly frustrating as an Albertan, as a Calgarian. Um, hopefully we can get through this and get back on track. You know, thankfully... The federal government, I hate to I hate to ring that bell, but the federal government is in town right now announcing all sorts of, I think, $175 million for a bunch of projects uh, that had already gone through the approval system, including a really cool solar program right here in Calgary. Um, so at least we have one level of government that believes in this industry and believes in this form of energy. Uh, it will be nice if we can get everyone on the same table here and, and kind of put the politics aside because, you know, I know some folks still want to relitigate um whether wind and solar are, are good technologies in the same way they want to relitigate whether climate change is real. But for the vast majority of, of people, uh, certainly in Canada, definitely in the business community around the world, those arguments are over. We're done. And, and the more time we waste on yesterday's conversations, the less time we have to participate in today's and tomorrow's. You can find Max Fawcett on Twitter at Max Fawcett, and you can read his work. He's the lead columnist at Canada's National Observer. His uh, new column out just this morning nationalobserver.com. Max, thanks for making time for us. It's always a pleasure. Likewise. Thanks again. Yep, you got it. Uh, you can let us know what you think. Uh, I mean, in the live chat, 1984 Resistance says, what the fuck? This show is garbage. I need to tell YouTube not to suggest this channel. Oy vey. Uh, we always want to let you know, 1984 Resistant, that this isn't some sort of like a cheerleading exercise. We're happy to read our criticism as much as we are our praise. As a matter of fact, we kind of hone in on the criticism. We like when people hold us accountable, when people hold our feet to the fire. If you felt like the interview fell short, let us know where. Let us know what we could have done better. We're always growing our audience. We welcome newcomers to the live chat. and We appreciate the contributions that you make. Mark says, you know, few will talk about this. He says, I'm pretty sure that the inherently misogynistic Saudi prince would not be happy about being greeted by a female premier 
but he kept his mouth shut. Others were, I didn't see video of the tarmac greeting. Um, and, and, and on the record, by the way, my position is that if I was advising the premier of Alberta, she's got to be on that tarmac. She's got to make the welcome. Your city's hosting the World Petroleum Congress. You can disagree with me if you like, but it's Calgary's biggest industry. It's a huge spotlight shining on the province of Alberta right now. She's got to be there, like it or not. Right. But somebody's wondered aloud, did they shake hands? He said, probably not. I don't know. I haven't seen video. All I've seen is the photo, but uh, they're certainly not shaking hands in the photo. So who knows? Let us know what you think. Talk at ryanjesperson.com is where you can send us an email. Of course, that inbox is always open. We've got a bunch I want to get to today. We also have an elected MLA that's hanging out in the bullpen right now, ready to go. We're not going to keep her waiting. Diana Batten, in just a second, we're talking E. coli. And then we'll get to some of what you've got to say. Wanted to let you know that these conversations happen with the support of Real Talk partners like our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy. It's been a big month for Kubi. They were just recently voted the best solar installation company in Kamloops, BC. Uh, Without a doubt, they're one of the most experienced solar installers across Western Canada, and Kamloops obviously agrees with that. Kubi is committed to making your transition to solar simple and stress-free. You can get in touch with them today for a free quote, uh, either online, kubienergy.ca, or give them a call, one 833 kuby That's K-U-B-Y. They're also hiring right now. You can check out the careers link on their website for that. If you're already in the midst of a career, you're a professional engineer and, and you've got experience, but you're looking for a change of pace, uh, quite frankly, you just don't feel motivated. You don't feel like you're going to reach your full potential at any point soon. You don't feel like your company's even headed in the right direction. Well, Apex Automation is Canada's fastest growing automation firm. And right now they're looking for professional engineers, uh, electrical engineers, instrumentation and computer science engineers, process engineers, mechanical engineers, electricians and instrumentation professionals as well. Uh, they're looking for people that are wanting to work in Western Canada, wanting to work in the United states even as far down as texas where they've just opened their newest field office they are on the cutting edge of industry whether it's energy agriculture autonomous vehicles even brewing apex automation is leading the charge you can check out the careers link at apexautomation.ca now if you're going okay that's great to hear that kubi and apex are hiring i'm not quite there yet but i'm starting to think about a new career You know where you need to go today. You need to visit AthabascaU.ca. This is Canada's open university from from courses, programs that may be of interest to to full-blown degrees, undergraduate, graduate. Hey, you want to get a PhD? You can get it from Athabasca. They've got an MBA program that, this is my fault, I don't think I talk enough about the MBA at Athabasca University. There's more than 35 online master's and doctorate programs alone, and the only commute is to your device. The best part about it, Athabasca University designed to fit your life. For ambitious people everywhere looking for more flexible approaches to higher education, check out AthabascaU.ca today. And we also wanted to recognize our friends at Local Environmental Services. If you're a decision maker that's listening to this podcast or watching us on YouTube, you work for a municipality, you work for a family business, maybe you're in charge of figuring out garbage and recycling contracts for a a big business like, let's say, West Edmonton Mall, you're going to want to keep it local for a few different reasons. Number one, of course, the service is going to be better. A real-life human is going to answer the phone. They're going to know your name when they talk to you, but they're going to give you 
better prices, and more support for local causes. They are a full-service environmental solutions partner in Alberta and Saskatchewan, and they want to compete for your business. So if you're sick of paying too much, you can request a quote today. It takes 30 seconds at localenvironmental.ca. Well, the entire country has been uh, paying attention to this uh, horrific situation down in Calgary, an E. coli outbreak that has impacted, I mean, they're closing in on 20 daycares. There's been kids hospitalized, some of them on dialysis. We talked to Dr. Shazma Mathani last week. If you want to get the sort of E. coli 101, make sure you check out that episode. She speaks in plain language that all of us can understand, including helping us understand the rare strain of this, the rare type of disease that this is is showing up in three and four and five-year-olds, some of them who may have lifelong complications because of this. There's a kitchen at the center of it all, a kitchen that's shut down now after multiple offenses. Some of these daycares are reopening. We're going to be talking to the health minister, we believe, in the next couple of days, but we're grateful that the opposition critic for child care, child and family services is making time for us this morning. She's the elected MLA out of Calgary, Acadia. Diana Batten joining us on the show. Good morning to you. Good morning, Ryan. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. It's just such a strange feeling. I mean, I'm just rattling off these statistics. More than 300 children affected, dozens of children hospitalized, kids on dialysis, and and someone even like me that's talking about this every day. I know you are too. We forget that these are individual kids, individual families. This is an absolute nightmare. Oh, it, it truly is. And I continue to hear from families how it's just... It's like nothing they've ever encountered before. And like, they're scared. What are you able to do right now? Or what are you doing as an opposition critic on this file? I know that the NDP wants to see a public inquiry into this. Can you, can you take us into the details? Yeah, no, for sure. So the biggest thing we're actually doing, of course, is advocating for these families and for these kids, right? We are demanding the government do what they're supposed to do, which is lead and support. Um, And so what we're demanding is an independent public inquiry. And why this is so important is because really at the end of the day, we want to know what went wrong and how can we fix it? And honestly, what I'm hearing from parents uh, affected and not directly affected by this is that they have very little faith in our current government. They have very little faith in our public um, health inspection because they don't we don't have a lot of transparency on that. We don't have a lot of um, accountability happening there. And they really they would like the answers they want to feel comfortable sending their kids to daycare. Um, And they're just not sure that this government can provide that for them. I think that this has been a a wake-up call for for a lot of people that just assume, I, I don't know if you're like me, uh, but I don't like to think about these types of things. You know, I, I was talking, uh, this This is horrible. I'm sorry to put this right in front of you, especially while a lot of people are maybe going to be eating breakfast while they're listening to this interview. But I was talking to a restaurant tour the other day. Now, to be clear, he's not talking about his own restaurant. But I said, gosh, man, 
I don't you, you don't think about places that would still be operating with cockroach traps that are full, like sticky traps with 20 cockroaches on them, with cockroaches crawling up the side of the fridge. You don't think about restaurants that would continue to operate knowing that they're actively trapping mice overnight, that they're clearing out the traps every single morning. He looks at me, he goes, dude, it happens all the time. And it kind of turned my stomach. Like it made me feel like before I eat at a restaurant, I want to be that guy, the, the, the person that we kind of look at and sneer that brings in his own cutlery and that wants to see the bathroom before he sits down, that wants to tour the kitchen. It's not practical because as human beings, I guess in a civilized society, we put our trust in the system. We believe that people are complying to health standards. We believe that places that prepare food or that look after kids are being regularly inspected. And then a story like this comes along Unfortunately, where a few hundred kids are paying the price for negligence uh, and for, for, for essentially a breach of trust. And it kind of rattles all of us, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. And when we think about, I mean, I, <laughs> I, I appreciate the disclaimer, the warning about it's early morning and we're yeah. talking about some pretty um, gross things. But uh, yeah, we, I mean, food safety is such a huge part about how we keep ourselves safe. And so I think this outbreak obviously illustrates that there's there are supports missing, right? Um, there are things that we we need to review. We need to make sure that this, the systemic issues are addressed so that this never happens again, right? This means that we have to support our public health inspectors. It means that we have to support these different um, businesses, right? And obviously we're supporting the families and the children, but it's that we need that independent investigation so that we're able to restore that trust and we're able to actually implement recommendations that come from the experts that says, you know what, this is what you need to do. This is how we're going to keep our children, our families, and honestly, all Albertans safe. Uh, I, I know that when, when I ask you this question, I'm going to ask you if, if we have enough health inspectors, you probably go, well, I mean, are we talking about Calgary with a million people or are we talking about high level or high prairie or Lethbridge or you know what I mean? Uh, but, but in your assessment, and, and I'm sure that your office, I would imagine that your team has done a little bit more digging on this. Maybe even your team knows a little bit more about this than you did two weeks ago. Um, are we adequately protected as members of the general public? I've seen some unverified assertions online, people saying that, you know, we've been letting go health inspectors and that the numbers are lower than they've been in a long time. Is that accurate? Well, I can't speak specifically to the numbers, Ryan, to be totally transparent. Okay. But, but what I can say is that, you know, um, before becoming an MLA, I'm a registered nurse. Um, I'm very familiar with different cuts we've seen to our public health care system. So I wouldn't be surprised if we have seen a decrease in public health inspectors, um, both in terms of what the sheer number of inspectors we have, but also their scope of practice, right? How, much, how many kitchens are they supposed to be inspecting? How frequently? Um, and that's kind of when it goes back to that support piece again. We can't expect folks to give, uh, you know, 110% if we don't support them, right? Uh, and so that's where I see this big failure of our government. We, we haven't been out in front saying, you know what, we're here to support you. We're here, we're doing the best we can. Um, and these are the resources for you, right? The, the government has done a terrible job on that. And I hear, I mean, even this morning in my inbox, I'm still hearing it. These parents are not feeling supported. Your, your career is an RN. Did, did you see, I would imagine you, you've kind of seen it all. Uh, can, can, you, can you speak to lay people that don't have you know, medical experience and experience in hospitals on, on what a bout of E. coli can be like? Oh, 
it, it, I mean, obviously it varies across the board. Um, but if you think, you think of anyone who has, you know, uh, any experience with children, um, when they're sick, it's the most heartbreaking thing. And when it gets to be this serious, especially for these kiddos we have in hospital right now, I mean, that is, it is a situation that no parent ever wants to be in, right? Um, and these kiddos are just, they are so sick and they they just, they don't understand what's going on. And it's so hard. Um, we have a phenomenal staff, of course, with AHS. Um, some of my, my previous colleagues, I know they're out there taking care of these kiddos, um, but it's terrifying. Uh, a lot of families after experiences like this really, they need even further support after because even the time in the hospital can be really damaging, right? Not just for the child that's sick in the bed or the or the parents that are sitting bedside, but also even siblings, right? Like it's just the implication of this type of um, experience can be long term. Uh, what's, what's your relationship like? Can you give us a, a peek behind the, the curtain a little bit on, on uh, corresponding with uh, the government, I mean, the health minister in particular, is there communication? Do you believe they're receptive to what you're asking for? Do you expect that they'll call a public inquiry? Uh, what is your crystal ball telling you? <laughs> well, um, it's like, actually, it's my magic eight ball I'm looking at. But um, what does it say? <laughs> it says, unfortunately, it kind of says try back later, honestly, because we, we've seen this back and forth with this government where they commit to one thing and then don't follow through. Um, so, for instance, a number of days ago, uh, they had committed, Smith committed to, yes, you know, we're going to do a public inquiry. This makes sense. But now they're talking about maybe we won't have to do that. And again, this builds this level of distrust with parents and with all Albertans where, you know, we we want them to do the right thing. We all want to protect the children and the families. So let's go ahead and be transparent and accountable about that. Let's, you know, put the right people in the right place to figure out what's going on with this situation and make sure it never happens again. Uh, if you're just tuning in on the live streaming Mixler audio app presented by California Closets, we're talking to uh, Alberta's opposition critic for child care, child and family services, uh, Diana Batten, the MLA out of Calgary, Acadia. Uh, you're, you're the opposition critic for, for children. Uh, you know, I mean, you're looking out for families. Uh, I'd be an idiot. I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't ask you about this one million march for children. Um, looks to me like you're speaking to us from an office, which leads me to believe that, uh, I mean, unless you have very cold interior design in your home, I don't know, but it looks to me to be an office. Uh, did you did you have a morning commute today? If so, did you see any demonstrators? How are you wrapping your mind around what's happening across the country today? Uh, no, so my actually my commute was um, pretty easy this morning, which was a little disturbing, honestly. Um, but no, I haven't I haven't seen any of it yet this morning. Um, but no, I am I'm a little worried. I'll be honest with you, right? There's a lot of um, hate out there right now, and I I really just want, of course, take it the the chance to share that you know all people are accepted, whatever you you look like, act like, identify as you know, we love you and we accept you as who you are. And I want that message to resonate when these terrible things are going on today. I want, I want folks to remember that we're here for you. Right. I I've seen uh, just on my own feeds. Um, and, and these are some of my, like my high school friends who are, you know, now obviously parents and, you know, I have a couple of high school friends that are almost grandparents already, which is wild, but I digress. But but a couple of them, and I know them to be wonderful people. Like, they're great people. I know it. 
uh, they don't understand it. And, and they're kind of asking, and, and this is fine. Like, not everybody is like us. I don't know about you, Diana, but, like, not everybody's, like, always digging into things and always paying. Some people are just, like, going about their business, trying to keep their heads above water. But they're going, like, you know, one of my high school friends asking, is, is this, she asked, is this about the kids that want to identify as cats, LOL? And I'm going, oh, I'm going, oh, right? But I know she's not malicious. I know, I know that it's just things are misrepresented. The algorithm puts certain things in front of people. They're led to believe something is something else. They're led to believe that things are happening in schools that are not happening in schools. And and and, and today, I you know I suspect I don't want to say I fear, but I I, I suspect that a lot of people are going to be misled, uh, let alone misunderstand what this is all about. And and that's why we're just trying to. We asked Max about it. We asked you about it. And I know that our audience is is paying attention to it. As well, uh, it's something that we'll probably spend some more time just to let real talkers know. We'll spend some more time, I suspect, uh, talking about this tomorrow. Um, also, I want to ask you this before we close. I, I know you're not the energy critic. I know I know you're not, you know, the environment critic. But uh, let me ask you about the World Petroleum Congress. It's going down. I mean, visitors from all over the world, uh, some of them pretty high-powered people, uh, are in your home city. Quite frankly, my home city of Calgary. Uh, what's your thought on the World Petroleum Congress? What some of the talk is about? You know, the position the Alberta government's taking on it, generally speaking, where's your head at? Yeah, no, no. So, yeah, as you mentioned, like this is not my my area of expertise, but I mean, Calgary is it's such a great place. And so I love that we've got that we're hosting this. Um, of course, we're, we're so happy to welcome everyone uh, and to work with everyone really towards our goal of net zero. Um, I think it's it's interesting what's the uh, with the moratorium on renewables right now. So it kind of puts uh, Danielle Smith in an interesting position um, where, again, I think we're seeing a little bit of this saying one thing, doing another. Um, but all that being said, I'm really excited that Calgary is hosting this and that we've got all these amazing folks in um, working towards our target of next zero, because let's be real, that's where we need to go. Yeah, I agree. I think it's a huge opportunity for Calgary. I think it's a huge opportunity for Alberta. I think it's great anytime that that a community in Alberta is able to play host to an international event. Um, and, and, and I trust that it prompts conversations, including this one, including subsequent ones on this show, where we do talk about continuing to pursue goals that are important to, I think, the majority of the people on, on planet Earth. Uh, hey, I haven't had a chance to, to speak with you on the show before, so uh, it's nice to see your face. It's nice to add you to the roster, and thanks for making yourself available. Of course. Thank you so much, Ryan. Have me back anytime. <laughs> All right. That's MLA uh, Diana Batten out of Calgary, Acadia. That's a South Calgary riding, uh, the opposition critic for child care, child and family services. I didn't ask you this question, Johnny. I asked Max the question. I wanted to circle back. Mm -hmm. Be honest. Do you promise to be honest with me? <sighs> yes. You're filling up your car with gas. Okay. Yeah. You I love I the, love the analogy. You pull into the I station. Yeah. There is gas just it's like the no name gas is just gas you don't mm -hmm. know where it's from and it's 15 cents cheaper or you can buy canadian gas and there's canadian flags all over the pump 15 cents more per liter which one are you going to go to i mean i'll be honest and i think some people will be like come on but i i think i would go for the canadian gas which because it's such uh, it's such a topic right now of course we're talking about ethical oil and the saudis and uh, you know live golf and everything that is kind of the, the premier today or uh, yesterday, uh, greeting them on the tarmac. I think I would go for the Canadian gas as long as I could. But I do understand that times are tight for everybody. And I'm not just talking about people who make X amount of money. Times are tight for everyone. Food is up. Bills are up. 
electricity's up, uh, gas is up. So, yeah, occasionally, if, if the wallet was tight, I would go for the other one. But I think I would try my hardest to support that Canadian gas as much as I could, as long as, as we talk about on this show, it remained as ethical as it could be, which... You know, I know we talk about we we grind, <laughs> you know, uh, Alberta oil's gears on this show a lot, but it does have very high standards. This province is doing its best, I think. Do you think we grind Alberta oil's gears? Well, I we don't grind. I their, don't think we, so. We don't grind their gears on on maybe whether the oil is, you know, hundred. We do hundred percent ethical. We grind their gears on 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 you know orphan wells and uh, tailings ponds sure. and things that are. Obviously egregious. Right? So I would say, like, like for us, and I think of of Mark Doran uh, from Polluter Pay Federation, who was on the show a while ago. I, I mm-hmm. think it was about a month ago, approximately. You can find it in our archives anywhere. Uh, and he, and he comes on and he says Alberta oil is not ethical. Yeah. and that's like boom. That's like that's a major thing to say mm-hmm. in the province. But then you look at it and you say, why? I, I can sometimes best communicate using sports metaphors, and that is if if your team, if your local team, you love it and you want it to succeed that's and, what we want and, and and community members of yours work for the team or if you're lucky enough they play for the team and you want them to hoist the cup or to win the championship but they're letting you down yeah and and they're falling short and you're a caller into a sports talk radio station and you're going up one side of the team and down the other because you want it to be better because you want it to be the best that's not a bad thing. No, not, it's not at all. It's not a bad thing to hold industry accountable, to look out for the environment and the economy. I you know, want it to be the I best. find that, that our show sits at that intersection. It does. You know, where we can have those conversations uh, and, 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 and really have, I mean, we, we named the show on purpose, yeah. have real talk yeah. about real issues. That's and kind of the whole point. I feel like some people, they always have this argument. Well, you know, like they'll be like, well, look at Texas oil compa- compared to Alberta oil. And it's like, that's not what it's about. It's not like we're good enough compared to these guys. We, like you said, we want to be the best. Yeah. Uh, people in the chat, I see this from Knude. Um, Canadian gas is no more ethical than any other gas, he says. Uh, Scott says we'll pull sweet crude out of the ground here and the gasoline price is 15 cents cheaper 100 kilometers in any direction this is a total hose job it's true we should be paying like half we're not I'm not going to lose sleep over it but I'm just saying we're going to get to some of your emails we've got a ton like you know sometimes we'll, we'll take on subject matter we'll take on a story and just assume that it's a story that's impacting a, a real talk audience member or a real talk family, uh, because odds are with the size and reach of the audience and the show that it's true and and it's proven itself yet again. Uh, we've got a message from Christine, who's a real talker and a mom. Her daughter was hospitalized as part of this outbreak in Calgary. Uh, we're going to get to her message in just a little bit. Plus, Jeff has some thoughts on the inquiry into the E. coli outbreak. But first. Could you use a break from the news cycle for a quick second? Could, could you use something to, to remind you what we're all fighting for? The beauty, let's say, in, I don't know, Jasper National Park. It's Wednesday, which means our friends at Tourism Jasper are giving us an excuse to get outside and take a look at my Jasper memories. And all we want to talk about today, because this is coming up in, in just a few weeks, is the Jasper Dark Sky Festival. And I'm going to tell you about some of the stuff that lies in wait for you out there in Jasper. They've just added a third weekend, which is amazing. Uh, It means that essentially for the the second half of October, from the 13th to the 29th, you have a chance 
to go check out one of the world's largest dark sky preserves and, of course, celebrate the celestial gems above us. Now, part of the festivities out of the Jasper Dark Sky Festival are, are guest speakers. And if you go to jasperdarksky.travel, you can see the full roster. Uh, you can see that, you know, Alan Nursall is going to be there. He's a Canadian television personality. He's the former CEO at the TELUS World of Science. He's hosting a trivia night, which is going to be an absolute blast. Betty Maya Foote is there talking about dark sky preservation and why that's so important. She's a, a renowned astrophotographer, so that'll be a fascinating one to take in. Christian Harris is going to be there, the founder of Space Weather Trackers. You've got mathematicians showing up. You've got space flight historians showing up. You've got students and experts in physics and astrophysics like Hamid Hassani that's going to be there. And then, of course... You've got the Honorable Mark Garneau, a former federal minister, former MP, and of course, the first Canadian in space. That happened in 1984 on board the space shuttle Challenger. If you missed our Monday episode this week of Real Talk, we had a chance to check in with the former astronaut and, and get a bit of a sense of what he's going to be talking about out in Jasper and his enthusiasm for Canada's participation in space exploration is really remarkable. Here's just a, a quick snippet of what Mark Garneau told us on Monday. Canadians know about certain parts of Canada's involvement in space, but there's a lot of things they don't know about the amazing things that Canada has done in space that's the first part of my message and i think I, I i give a powerpoint presentation and i give very specific examples of what we have done in space and people are always surprised to find out just how much we have done and then the second thing i try to do is to tell them why it's important for us to be in space you know it space is is complex it's expensive it's risky, but it's worth it. I love when he said that. It's worth it. Uh, you can watch that interview to hear more about what he thinks about uh, Canada's current four astronauts, including one that's going to be up on the moon again as part of that Artemis II mission. Uh, back to the Dark Sky Festival. They've got a great weekend breakdown. So if you go, Jess, well, I can't be out there for the entire festival. I can't be out there for two and a half, three weeks. Fair enough. Pick your weekend. I mean, there's so many cool things going on, including Symphony Under the Stars with the Edmonton Symphony Orchestra. There's the uh, orchestra, the Jasper Sky Tram Star Sessions. How cool is that? Uh, a telescope experience. And then they've got bands. Like, they've got great music nights and, and opportunities for kind of mixing and mingling some wine and cheese and learning more about space. The planetarium experience there is super cool. We've done it as a family. And then the Jasper Dark Sky Space Ball. Like a celebration, a swanky celebration on that final weekend. You could do a sunset helicopter cruise up into the Rocky Mountains. How cool would that be? Even animals of the night hike opportunities. So neat. Uh, it all lies in wait in Jasper National Park. You can learn more by checking out jasperdarksky.travel. We'll have the link and more information in the show notes. My Jasper Memories is proudly presented Wednesdays on Real Talk by our friends at Tourism Jasper. So we get this message uh, from a real talker by the name. Uh, well, Christine is not her real name. Uh, she's she's asked us not to use her real name because her family, they're going to be participating in this class action uh, because their daughter was hospitalized due to an E. coli outbreak. Their daughter was at the Fueling Brains daycare. You've been hearing about this down in Calgary. It's one of the first 11 that were shut down and others have been shut down subsequently. Uh, their daughter 
four years old, was in the hospital for four days. Uh, She says, luckily, no dialysis, but she had an IV in her hand for the full four days. You can imagine a four-year-old getting used to that. Christine says, I just thought that Real Talkers might be interested to know what this experience is like firsthand. She says, we've appreciated your coverage of this very trying experience, our family included. We found out about kids getting sick uh, back on Saturday, and she said the possibility of E. coli uh, on Saturday night, we were told what to watch out for, the symptoms, etc. And on Sunday, our daughter uh, started having diarrhea once every couple of hours, and she said, I said, that's when I said, uh-oh. Uh, Sunday night, it became that much more frequent, and then early Monday morning, there was blood. So we went to the children's hospital. We were there all day Monday. She says, I want real talkers to try to imagine a four-year-old every 15 minutes experiencing this diarrhea with blood. And a large chunk of that was spent in admitting. So it was very emotionally trying for all of us. They got the IV in, a credit to the nurses and the doctors that did the blood work and had the urine samples done as soon as possible. Uh, They tried to send us home that first night for a few hours to try to get some rest, although our daughter was up still every 30 minutes uh, to use the washroom. She said we were back all day Tuesday at the hospital, Wednesday all day at the hospital, and she said that's when we started to feel like things were improving because she was only needing the washroom every 45 minutes. Can you imagine a four-year-old every 45 minutes experiencing this? On Thursday, our daughter was released after blood work results. We were told to monitor her there as the results were not perfect. But since then, uh, she's had a rash on her face. And by the way, for, I, let me just throw this in. Uh, we're not showing photos of her daughter. Uh, but, but for a lot of you, when we correspond with you, if we're going to read something on the show, we know the audience trusts us and we want you to trust us. And so we need to verify some of this stuff. Um, this family, Christine sent us photos of their daughter. We've seen the rash. We've seen the hospital bracelet. She made it very easy for us to verify the story. She says our daughter's had a rash on her face, uh, which I'm told is because her kidneys are malfunctioning right now. Her kidneys are still not able to break down sugars properly. And she says, so this means that we're we're submitting continued uh, and regular stool samples that uh, the uh, experts are, are letting us know what we need to monitor and for how long we'll need to do this. She says, uh, luckily, uh, my husband and I have have been able to trade off here and the grandparents were lucky enough to have them in the city as well. So we've all been rotating care. She says this has been extremely stressful and we're hoping for a positive outcome for all families involved. That from a family here, uh, real talkers that are experiencing this firsthand. You can send us an email anytime in confidence to talk at ryanjesperson.com. That's also what Jeff did after we talked to Charles Adler about this on Monday. And Jeff said, I, you know, I heard Adler talking about this inquiry and how there should be one, certainly, on this E. coli outbreak at the daycare centers in Calgary. And Jeff says, I totally agree. It reminds me of another outbreak, E. coli as well, in which there was an inquiry. He says, I was living in Ontario about 23 years ago in 2000. The town of Walkerton was hit with E. coli in their drinking water, uh, which resulted in, if memory serves me correct, seven deaths. And he says there were like about half of the town's residents, about 2,500 people became sick and a couple of parties were to blame. And the brothers who ran the town's water utility had no formal training for their jobs and were probably hired because of who they knew, not what they knew. Uh, Jeff says one of the brothers was well known around town to drink on the job. And then Premier of Ontario, Mike Harris's government, made cuts, had made cuts to provincial water monitoring a few years prior. Jeff says there are people that need to be held accountable for what's happened in these Calgary daycares. He says one of those groups may very well be this government. 
Some gates do need keeping. That from Jeff, who supports the call for an inquiry. I don't know how you don't have a public inquiry. When, when you look at these numbers, understand if it's five or six or seven or ten kids that get sick, yeah. which is still brutal. When you have more than 300 sick, I mean, if you don't have a public inquiry then, mm-hmm. when the hell do you have a public inquiry? This is, this is one of the most horrible stories we've ever talked about. And like the kitchen, like you're done now. Like you've you've destroyed your business. Would, would it have been a big deal to shut down for a week and get rid of the rodents and the cockroaches and make sure everything was absolutely clean? And then to come out and say, hey, we had a little issue, but everything is tip top. And now like the fallout from this and that story you just read, the email. I'm not even a parent, but that like it scared the heck out of me. I'm sure they were all at home just feeling like crap and just it just sounds horrible yeah i'm not i'm not necessarily uh aiming this comment at the people that work in this kitchen fueling brains or what was it fueling minds is the daycare fueling brains is the kitchen and they're trying to tell us that it's not the same ownership group uh which means there's probably like one person out of the group that doesn't have ownership stake in both i mean it's just a whole bunch of bullshit from people that have established themselves as completely untrustworthy Mm. um so i'm not talking about the people that are maybe making minimum wage that are that are you know cutting the cucumbers in the kitchen that's not their call um but i do not know how you continue to supply food for children for children at like two dozen daycares knowing that you have an infestation of cockroaches, that you have unsafe business food handling practices, that you are a multiple offender when it comes to health violations. I just, to me, you've got to be wired differently to be okay making revenue, making money, making a profit, we assume, Mm -hmm. uh, in a scenario like that. It's disgusting, it's despicable, and these people deserve to be held to account. 100%. I guarantee more of this will come out over time, I think, in the coming weeks. Like, if you're a cook or someone packaging the food in the kitchen, how could you have not spoken up? I guarantee they did, those people working in those kitchens. And it's not their call to have, you know, the inspectors come in or whoever to get to alleviate the problems. It's only their call to tell someone. I'm sure they told someone. Nobody, to- nobody in the food service industry who cooks and dedicates their life to being a chef or whatever it is could sit there and look at that, but I, I'm I'm guessing we'll hear more about it. <laughs> Tara Lynn Fairpoint says, can we also maybe have a public inquiry as to why families like Christine's are waiting 11 hours in admitting in hospital? Isn't it time that this became an unacceptable situation? I mean, th- there's apps that people are using right now. I like seeing Dr. Bradley Martin in the chat, by the way. Shout out to Hinton, Alberta. He says it's, it's being accountable, transparent, and to show people you'll be better. Yeah. That's the point of a yeah. public inquiry, and he's 100% correct. Mm-hmm. He says a public inquiry does not need to be an admission of guilt, right? I mean, you, you, you create or, or you, you uh, what's the word I'm looking at? You perpetuate trust. Like you establish and then maintain trust with the public by holding inquiries into situations like this. You know, it's not if the government holds a public inquiry into this, it's not Danielle Smith or Minister Adriana LaGrange saying we're the problem. It's our fault. I personally, I'm Ryan Jesperson. I personally don't think it's the health minister or the premier's fault that this happened. It's not realistic that the premier of Alberta is doing inspections on daycare kitchens. Like, give me a break. Let's be reasonable here. But at the same time, where does the buck stop? 
Like, like, like Adler and others have said, you run something up to the very top of the chain. Exactly. Right? Like, who's accountable for the Mike Babcock hiring in Columbus, <laughs> right? right? Yeah. It's John Davidson yeah. and it's Jarmo Kekalainen, the GM of that team. There, you run it up to the top mm-hmm. if you need to ask questions. And in this case, that's what an inquiry like this will do. I took a look at our TikTok. Uh, if you don't follow us on TikTok at Real Talk RJ, you need to. Uh, Johnny, uh, our TikTok from yesterday talking to Harmon Candola about mm. this sick leader in BC murdered uh, back in, uh, well, just a few months ago, and the prime minister dropping a bombshell in the House of Commons on yeah, Monday. Some traction there. Saying that he thinks that Canada believed, and the prime minister speaking on behalf of the country, he's speaking on behalf of you that Canada believes that India is behind the cold-blooded killing of that sick leader. So we bring on Harman Candola yesterday. Uh, he's VP of the World Sick Organization of Canada. Um, I see that as of right now, it's been up 18 hours, 105,000 views of that TikTok. You want to roll it for people yeah, that haven't it. heard it? Here he is yesterday. Hardeep Singh Nijjar was warned by Canadian intelligence that he was going to be a target. Mm. And he's not the only one. There's many others on that list who have been warned by Canadian intelligence that you're on a list, that your life is in danger. For those others who've been warned, we want them to to have security. We want the Canadian intelligence to actually ensure the safety of Canadians. Even today, talking about this, when I left the house this morning, my mother told me not to. Really? Absolutely. She asked me where I was going, and I said, I'm going to do an interview about what, what the Prime Minister said. She said, don't do it. I don't want you to do it. She knows the consequences that we face for speaking out. So why did you disobey your mom and show up here today? When Hardeep Singh Nijjar knew that he was going to be killed by the Indian government, he continued to speak out. The day he was assassinated, he talked about it from stage, that no matter what happens, a Sikh will always speak out against oppression. We will always stand up for human rights. That is our duty. That is our obligation. That is our responsibility. That was Harman Candola yesterday on the show. I encourage you to, to check it out. And we want to thank everybody. Like, like we know that some people, some of the 105,000 that have viewed that on TikTok in the last 18 hours are going to be new to the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and we want to welcome those of you that are going to be hearing the show maybe for the first time today and, and, and welcome you to the family, welcome you to the fold. It prompted an email from Christy uh, who says, Jespo, I've read what feels like, like 11,000 articles about Canada-India relations and sick independence and the like in the last 24 hours. Christy's one of those that's, I don't know, she sounds like me. You, you, you kind of get on something and you, you realize you want to learn every angle about it, right? She says, I guess I don't have much to say about it overall because I'm just a lowly nerd standing in the middle of her kitchen trying her best to read articles on her phone in the brief time between letting the dogs out and then them turning around and hollering to be let back in. I'm not an international diplomat. Uh, Christy, you you sound like every person. You sound like me. Uh, She says, trust me, nothing about me is anywhere near international diplomacy. But on India, I have no ties whatsoever to the country. I'm learning as quickly as I can. But this was a hell of a crash course. She says, keep that all in mind in what I'm about to say. But but India's response to these allegations by the prime minister do they strike anybody else as a little, I don't know, Putin-esque? You know, we didn't do anything. Canada has an agenda. This is character assassination. And, and while we're at it, why aren't you looking out for our interests on your domestic soil? She says, huh? And then like a whole bunch of question marks. She says, call me biased. But choosing that angle strikes me as just the teeniest tiny bit weird. That from Christie. Appreciate that. And I've got so much respect, Christy, for people that have a curiosity, an insatiable curiosity to understand more about news stories around them Mm -hmm. and then to pursue that. That's what this show is all about. And that's what we promise to be all about uh, episode after episode.
Kind of an interesting conversation yesterday as well with the co-founders of Four Hour Kids Alberta. Yeah. You know, uh, Claire Kratz and Heidi Bergstrom joined us to, to talk about this small but mighty group uh, that they founded. It's part of a national organization, but there was no Alberta chapter. And so these two decided to start it up. And Claire was one of those that was demonstrating outside the World Petroleum Congress on Sunday. If you want to listen to our episode yesterday, our September 19th episode, you can find out why Claire was there and what her message was to delegates at that conference. Um, why don't we talk about, can, can we play, we have like a 30 second clip. So this is Heidi. She's been a wonderful friend of this show. And she told us why, I mean, she's a busy mom. She's a professional, but she told us why she's taking the time to start up this group and, and what she's finding as a result. Searching for an outlet for my anxiety, for someone to connect with or a way to kind of channel my fears into action. And, you know, specifically I'm, I'm worried about my children and the future of my children. We're fighting for, you know, electric school buses. That's a big thing that we're working on. Um, and that's, you know, not only for the environment, but also it, it extends to mental health as well, because, you know, there's, there's studies that say that when kids see the adults in their lives trying and fighting for them, that their own climate anxiety will go down as well. I loved that point she made. Yeah, it's great. You know, about how my wife reminds me of this all the time. Climate anxiety is so real. Right and our now. kids are but watching us all the time. Yeah. Our kids are watching how we respond to things or how we don't respond to things. They're watching what we care about or what we're apathetic or don't care about. So Amanda writes in after Heidi and Claire came on the show. And Amanda says, I just wanted to quickly respond to Heidi and Claire's for our kids group and their comments about feeling guilty uh, for having kids in today's world. Uh, Amanda says, I'm 30 years old and I've wrestled with this idea as well. I've come to the belief that the decision to have children should be based on our own lives and values and not on the world's issues of that given moment. You know, terrible things have always happened throughout history, and I would never criticize a person's desire to start a family nor diminish the value of any new life just because they lived during a difficult era. It's okay to want a family, to be hopeful, and to raise new little people. For some folks, this is an extremely important part of their lives, and that's great. We can still have kids while changing our behaviors and facing our world's issues, and we still want people on this planet once the planet is saved. Amanda says, and who knows? Our kiddos may be the ones teaching us how to deal with this climate beast even better than we ever possibly could. Mm -hmm. That from Amanda, a yeah. message of hope. That's great. Great emails today. We right? Know. Yeah, you pulled some great. We're getting so many emails more than usual. I'm getting a little overwhelmed. I'm starting to yeah. think we should stop asking for them, <laughs> to be honest. But I want to remind people they can also send us videos. We love video replies. You can throw them in our DMs on Instagram or great. TikTok or wherever. A little wrap up for all your emails. My mother actually watching the show today with my grandmother. She remembers the E. coli uh, outbreak in Watertown, I believe. Yeah, that's what uh, Jeff was just writing about. Yeah, and uh, so just to, in response to that, I remember, like, I remember her talking about that to me when I was younger, and I remember that the guys there, and we're talking about people doing the right thing, whatever, they were faking some of the treatment plant, like the, the, the documents 
that they would have to submit every week on on whether the water was good or on whether everything was up to snuff. So well, get pe- this. people not always doing the right thing. Okay, you know? so this is the water. I'm just I'm going by Wikipedia, so take it with a grain of salt. Uh, you know, obviously seven people died. Uh, yeah, two thousand yeah. more than two thousand people were sick. Big. Johnny, the Walkerton yeah. E. coli outbreak, Walkerton on Ontario. Uh, this was in uh, following heavy. Rainfall. So the water supply contaminated as a result of improper treatment following heavy rainfall in the spring. So in April and May of 2000. So it drew bacteria. This this whole show has mm-hmm. been ruining people's breakfasts and brunch. <laughs> it's bad. The good news is that most people <laughs> are going to listen after. to this on the podcast after they've had lunch and they'll have plenty of time before dinner. Um, but it had drawn bacteria from the, the manure of nearby cattle mm-hmm. that had been used to fertilize crops into a shallow aquifer of a nearby well. Uh, it sickened more than 2,000 people. Seven people died, as mentioned. Now, get this. Uh, Associate Chief Justice of Ontario, Dennis O'Connor, led an inquiry into the outbreak, a public inquiry called the Walkerton Inquiry. And at that point, Walkerton Public Utilities Commission operators Stan and Frank Coble. It always sort of, it, it should, and I, I guess I don't mean this 100% of the time, but when it's like brothers, that are both in charge of something? Doesn't yeah. it kind of feel like nepotism? Doesn't it kind <laughs> yeah. of feel like the? it just so happens that the two supervisors are brother? Anyway, whatever. Uh, but it, get this. So Stan and Frank Coble, neither of whom had any formal training, were sentenced in December of 2004 after pleading guilty to charges of common nuisance stemming from the contamination. Doesn't sound serious enough, but I digress. Uh, Stan, one year in jail, Frank, to nine months of house arrest. And as a result, stricter water treatment guidelines were put in place by the government. That mm-hmm. wouldn't have happened if you didn't have a public inquiry. Yeah. And then uh, talking about the Nijar murder, uh, Yagmeet still pushing today. He wrote uh, directly. Here's a tweet he's put out today to the commissioner in charge of the public inquiry. So he's still pushing alongside that. And then I got a little tweet here. Uh, we were talking about the protests today. Uh Thank God they were just dismal in Edmonton, Courtney says. He'd peg the Edmonton turnout for the counter-protest at about three times the size of the anti-LGBTQ2. Okay, so they've so so the yeah. counter-protesters are outnumbered three times in this circumstance. In our home province, home okay, city, there you have it. which we is did, good news. I did see somebody else uh, on the chat. I apologize, I can't credit who you were. I don't remember. It was earlier in the show, but somebody said, you know, you mentioned that they've got the doors locked today, or reportedly they have the doors locked at the Alberta Teachers Association headquarters. Uh, somebody said, no, the demonstrators are already there. That, 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 yeah, that I think may they knew be, that. Yeah. That may be probably their first uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Destination. Yeah. Their first targeted destination. Well, they knew. And the ATA put this out this morning, too, which is great. But kind of, you know, this is why they, they repainted were, a crosswalk. They re- pride lives on vibrant and strong in every breaststroke of our newly repainted pride crosswalk. So and then they lock the doors. So we promise that the more emails that we get. And, and again, we don't we, we, we can't read all of them. I try my best to respond to all of them, at least to say thanks for thanks for taking the time. I tried to send a quick little note or at least a member of our team does. Uh, you may hear from Katie or others, uh, but uh, we will continue to amplify your voices. It's part of the whole reason. You know, people will sometimes say, why do you do real talk live? You don't have to do it live. You could do it. You could re- 
a big part of that is the live chat. It's what's happening, uh, you know, with the hashtag or the, the messages that you're sending us. It adds that dynamic. And a big part of this show has always been since episode one, your voice as part of this conversation. So if there's something on your mind today, whether it's subject matter that we've tackled or subject matter that we have yet to tackle, we want to hear from you and we're easy to find. You can check out the contact link on our website, ryanjesperson.com. I wanted to put something else on your radar. We know that cost of living is a very real issue for many of you. We're going to be talking about the affordability crisis tomorrow on our Alberta Municipalities Roundtable. Uh, We also hope to speak with the Health Minister tomorrow or Friday. But keep an eye out for that. You know, there's one group, there's thousands of members of the Civic Service Union, that's CSU 52 in Edmonton, and cost of living is all over their radar right now because for the last five years, wages for more than 80% of their union members have been frozen. So I don't have to tell you that inflation has, has been more of a reality now than it has been, quite frankly, in the last 20 years. So basically for them, that's been a pay cut, right? These are community members, neighbors that have families. And so they're looking at the fact that they've, they've crunched some numbers for us so so we can give you an idea of what it's looked like for people that are trying to navigate increased grocery costs, increased fuel costs, everything else, right? Like the cost of making mac and cheese is up over the last five years, 36%. The cost of steak and potatoes, some of you are going to be going... When's the last time I've eaten steak? If grocery budgets are an issue for you, you've probably not eaten steak in the last while. It's up 44% since January of 2018. Even a basic egg breakfast is up 7%. And so for the people that are answering 911 calls, the people that are staffing libraries and science centers and doing so much more work for CSU 52, well, they just want a fair deal. If you'd like to support them, and that's what they're asking from you, is public support, you can check out edmontonforeveryone.ca. Wanted to thank again our friends at Complete Care Restoration for the amazing attention to detail that they paid this project, our studio. They're the ones that are responsible for how this place looks, for the incredible professional job that was done. They do office renovations. They're doing a whole bunch of conversions now as as kind of the post-pandemic trends are settling in and a lot of people are re-envisioning what their office space might look like. Complete Care Restoration, in addition to construction and renovation, also helps people that have been impacted by fire damage and flood damage. Your insurance policy, if you read the small print, quite likely gives you the right to choose which business does the work. We recommend wholeheartedly that you trust Complete Care Restoration. You can find them online under the Sponsors tab on our website. If your construction project is more looking at outside than inside and in the spring you're looking to break ground on maybe a front yard or backyard overhaul, maybe you're in a brand new build, lucky you, your dream home, but landscaping, as is often the case, is not included in what the builder's giving you for what you're paying, you're going to want to get in touch with Eden Landscaping. Mike and his team are masters of design. Like, yeah, they'll do all the construction. I mean, they're a full-service contractor. You don't have to hire anybody else, but in my Personal experience, I'll say their best work is done on the design front as they bring outdoor spaces to life. My wife, Carrie, and I gave them a general idea of what we were looking for, but the final finished product, what they came up with, is blowing our minds. If you've got a bit of an idea or a really focused idea, if you combine forces with Eden Landscaping, I guarantee your satisfaction. You can find them online today at landscapeedmonton.ca. And Johnny, I'm not necessarily looking for a trophy. I'm not looking for a medal or a prize, 
but I do want to let you know I spent some time yesterday going through my email inbox and trying to clear it out. I felt guilty after we sh- <laughs> we showed my inbox. We showed the screen in an oh, episode earlier was... this week, and, and people were like, Ryan has 9,800 unread emails. And I was like, gave I, me anxiety. I, I know I need to get on this. And so I've been going through and, and, and deleting as many as I can. And I came across this email from Daryl. And I wanted to read it. He sent this to us on August 15th. And he says, Jespo, I recently moved to Stony Plain, Alberta. And it's like my family. This Anyway, six generations in Stony Plain. I love Stony Plain. And Daryl says, uh, obviously, I'm shopping at the Friesen Brothers out there. Obviously. And he says, even though I live closer to the Safeway, Friesen Brothers is getting my business. And he said, and I heard uh, your episode earlier this summer about New Murnham School. Uh, which was nominated as one of the best schools in the world, a top 10 school in the world right here in Alberta. He says, what a great episode. And I heard about how they were selling produce. The high school students were selling produce that they grew to that Twisted Fork restaurant in St. Paul. Daryl says, well, how cool. I'm wandering through the aisles of Friesen Brothers in Stony Plain, and I find a display of jellies and sauces from the Twisted Fork restaurant in St. Paul. He says, I tried the mustard barbecue sauce tonight, and it was out of this world. And he said, I thought you might want to know. Daryl, really appreciate that. Friesen Brothers understands keeping it local. They are still, after more than 65 years, family owned and operated. All 16 of their locations. They've got their Alberta Beef Roundup going on right now. It only lasts for another week. So you're going to want to check it out. Your chance to get a custom cut freezer full of Alberta beef from the Friesen Brothers Butchers. You can find the details online or go see them in store. Coming up on tomorrow's episode of Real Talk, we'll keep you posted on the health minister. That's why you want to make sure you follow us at Real Talk RJ on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And then, of course, our, our Alberta Municipalities Roundtable. we got three mayors. They're going to join us in studio. We're going to talk about crime. We're going to talk about affordability. And we're going to talk about a big upcoming meeting. And circle your calendar for Friday. The presidents of the Crown Prosecutors and the Criminal Defenders right here on our roundtable. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, Executive Producer Josh Dunford, Technical Producer John Hicks, General Manager Katie Cook Chivers, Account Coordinator Lawrence Durlego, Human Resources Lena Shepard, Website Design Mike Johnston, VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.